0: Father in heaven, we count it a great privilege to be in thy house in this day. Lord, we're so thankful for the warmth of fellowship that we could experience as we come in these doors, and to have loved ones from near and far join us uh, on this particular Sunday, Lord, is really a, a treasure to us, and we give thee the thanks and praise for it. Lord, we pray as we would look into your word in this day that your spirit would speak to us where it's needful for our hearts. Father, familiar scriptures that we, we meditate on often, but Lord, you're... Your Spirit speaks to us in unique and specific ways for each of our lives. And so, Father, as we would do that this morning, we pray that the distractions of this life could be put at bay. Pray that the perhaps preconceived expectations that we have uh, would be put on a shelf for a moment and that we could really hear what your Spirit is speaking to us, even starting uh, with, with the one that speaks here at the pulpit. Lord, we're mindful of a few prayer requests that were. Brought to our attention this morning, and and we want to uplift this family, this young family in particular, the child that is awaiting surgery for a a tragic fall. Um, Lord, we can't even imagine what what's going through the parents' minds and hearts, and not sure even what the condition of the little child is, Lord. But we we can take com- confidence and comfort to know that you have all of these things in your hands, that you you know the end of the situation even before the beginning, and so. Father, we pray that you'd work in the hands of the doctors as they would minister to them. Pray that you'd be sovereign over their the whole family. Lord, we're sure that in, in another place of worship, probably somewhere on this hill, that another family of faith is, is lifting up that child as well and praying on their behalf. And so, Lord, we pray that you'd honor the requests of all of those faithful, Lord, and that you would minister a miracle in, in that child's life. And, Lord, we know Ivan's going to be going into a new school this week. Those new experiences can be stressful for all of us, Lord. We we know that feeling so well. And so we pray that your spirit would be powerfully felt in his life, Lord, that you could give him a confidence and a peace, that you could keep his mind focused on the things that need to be accomplished and learned, and that he could be a light to those that he would encounter in that new school. So, Lord, now as we would look into your word We'll ask thy blessing on it, pray that you would go with us, and for it we'll thank you in advance, in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, The passage that I've been led to is uh, is Colossians chapter 1 and 2, primarily chapter 2, um, but I think it's going to be important that we talk about just a few things in chapter 1. Colossians chapters 1 and 2. Um, it's a passage we're very familiar with, and one, you know, the, all of the, the letters that Paul has written have, have many similar themes. Um, this one is a little different, uh, just in the fact that, and we'll read it this morning, that this is a, a letter to a place that Paul didn't visit. It's a letter to folks that he didn't meet, that he didn't know in particular. And it's a letter that has, um, even in the way that it's written, that has great, a great burden. But the burden that Paul kind of addresses here is, is not one of, like, condemnation. Uh, it's not like Corinthians where he's calling out specific problems that he sees. It's more of an exhortation, but an exhortation that you can read, um, you can read, you can read where his concern comes from. And if you, if you take the time to, to study the whole book and if you look at any um, commentaries or anything like that, you'll, we'll talk about it in a second, you'll see that there were, there were influences in the church. There were influences even in the area that were causing struggles, that were causing concerns for Paul. Um, and it had me think, have you, ever, have you ever received a letter? Have you ever received, maybe not even a le- it could have been a phone call. Ever had a conversation or some kind of communication with somebody where they're talking to you, but the words that they're saying are not the whole story. It's not everything, and you can sense it. You know that there's more, more there. Either there's a, either there's more to the backstory that the person's telling you. They're they're exhorting you about something. They're they're concerned about something, and yet you you can just tell that there's. There's something else there. There's, there's, how does the phrase go? There's more there, there. When we read this, this letter to the Colossians, that, that's the, the thought that I have um, as, it, as it unfolds. Uh, just I'm going to bounce around a couple of verses here in chapter 1, uh, and then we'll read a few in chapter 2. But he starts, verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, with the will of God and Timotheus our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ which are at Colossae. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love which ye have to all the saints, for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof ye heard before in the word of truth of the gospel, which is come unto you as it is in all the world and bringeth forth fruit, as it does also in you since the day you heard of it and knew of the grace of truth. As you have learned of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is for you a faithful minister of Christ, who also declared unto us your love in the Spirit. So just pausing there for a second. He has this, it's a beautiful intro. It's a beautiful salutation that he makes. Um, he references that this Epaphras, his, his fellow servant, we, we see Epaphras' name in a couple different places. He's in the book of Philemon also. So this minister of the gospel, this, clearly the person, he was the emissary that Paul had to Colossae. He was the one that would have been bringing the communication back and forth. And so, clearly, Epaphras has come back to Paul. Epaphras has, has been there and, and ministered to them and now has come back to Paul. In verse 9, it continues, For this cause we also, since the day we heard of it, do not cease to pray for you and desire that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Just pause there again. This just flowing um, salutation that he gives them of of the, the wonderful work that he has heard of in their lives, the encouragement that he has in, in hearing of their faith. And then he continues and focuses on a couple of other things. Uh, you know what? I'm not going to piece it up. We'll just read the whole thing. Giving thanks unto the Father, who hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness, and he translated us into the kingdom of his dear son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and in earth, visible and invisible, whether they are thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things and by him, all things consist. He is the head of the body, the church who is the beginning the firstborn from the dead that in all things he might have the preeminence for it pleased the father that in him should all fullness dwell this maybe even the way i'm reading it you can get this sense as we read this paul paul takes the opportunity to build this statement this profound statement About the sufficiency of God. The sufficiency of Christ. The completeness of the Godhead. The completeness of the plan of salvation. He, I mean, one statement. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. How clear is that statement? It was God's will that everything should be perfected in Christ. If you'd never spoken to somebody, if, if, if somebody walked in the doors this morning and just came up to you and said, "It pleased the Father that in all fullness, that in Christ all fullness should dwell." you'd kind of step back. That's, that is a declarative, powerful statement that doesn't seem to have a lot of background. It's true, nobody'd be arguing about the fact that that's a true statement, but the reason for the statement might be a little confusing. What we don't read here, and what what scholars have put together based on the rest of what Paul has said, is that there were influences in Colossae. What they were in particular, nobody knows for certain. Maybe it was um, mysticism, Jewish mysticism. Maybe it was the philosophies of the Greeks that was kind of in the region. Maybe it was, um, there's another sect called Gnosticism. You can even look up Gnostic, the, was it Gnostic heresy? There's all kinds of ideas as to what the particular influences were. But what we can read is that those influences had brought into question or had brought into threat of the church the thought that there were other things that could be added to the gospel. That there were other um, add-ons, accessories, that could be added to the gospel message that would somehow make it more fulfilled or bring it to greater fulfillment. And so Paul, right at the beginning here, he talks about, you know, I, I'm, I'm thankful to hear of, of the strength that I see in, that, that I read about. I'm, I'm thankful to hear of the strength and the spirituality in your in your midst. And we don't cease to pray for you. But one of the things I pray for is that you'd be fruitful in every good work and increase, this is verse 10 of chapter 1, and that you would increase in the knowledge of God. Well, in the region, there was a desire to increase in knowledge, but not necessarily in the knowledge of God. There was a desire to learn more. There was a desire to experience more. But it wasn't centered around the knowledge of God. It wasn't centered around the completeness of the Gospel. Around the fullness of of Christ, the sufficiency of Christ. And clearly those influences had spread within the congregation. Verse 18, I guess we'll read a couple more here. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, uh, maybe you read that part already. Verse 20, I'm sorry. And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say, whether they be things in heaven, or things on earth, or things in heaven, and you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, has he now reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight? If ye... "...continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which ye have heard, and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made minister. Who now rejoice in my sufferings for you, and fill up that which is behind of of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh, for the body's sake which which is the church." Whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. Even the mystery, which has been hid from ages and generations, but now is made manifest to his saints, to whom God, when, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, whom we preach, warning, every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus whereunto I labor striving according to his working which worketh in me mightily he just builds and builds and builds and in, in this when we get to verse 23, when he says, you know, all of these things, this wonderful work that took place in your lives, this redemptive work, empowerment, rest, uh, restoration with Christ, he's made you unblameable and unreprovable in his sight if ye continue in the faith and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel. All of these things, this perfect plan... He's saying this perfect plan that that was brought into fruition by Christ's death and resurrection, all of that, the perfection of that, can make you, use the right words, unblameable and unreprovable if you continue in the faith grounded and settled. If I got that letter, I'd be uncomfortable. If I got that intro to the letter, I go, well, "What do you know that I don't know?" I mean, clearly these folks that were experiencing this and were seeing the influences, you know, maybe maybe there were some that were aware, maybe there were some that were sensing the influences in their lives. We know Epaphras saw it. Epaphras came, saw what was going on, was concerned enough to go back to Paul. Paul was concerned enough that he wrote, writes this letter. And so I would I would hope, you know, in every situation there are those that have, uh, have better discernment, that may not have been influenced, may have been sounding the warning bells, trying to point out that, you know what, we're, we're straying from the truth of our ministry. We're straying from the truth of our walk or the centering of our walk. But Paul gets to the point to say, You know, if somebody says all these things can happen if you continue to do what you're supposed to do, well, the inference is, well, some of you are not doing what you're supposed to do, so you've got to get back on track. The how to's we get to in chapter two. Paul starts out, For I would that ye knew what great conflict, I think the Amplified defines that as what stupendous struggle I have for you. And for them of Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love and unto all riches and full assurance of understanding to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words." The way the letter reads again, we have this soaring chapter 1 that points out the problem, points out Paul's authority, points out the fact that we're going to talk about this and we're going to dig into the, the nitty-gritty, and then he calms down in chapter 2. I wish you could understand. I wish you could see my face and, and read this struggle that's not, that, that I'm, I'm feeling. My kids, and actually I think all three of them, all three of them can probably attest to the fact that There are those moments when I talk to them and I'm kind of, I'm super sarcastic. I'm far too sarcastic most of the time. And when somebody's sarcastic, it's often hard to tell whether or not they're serious all the time. And so the phrase that I have to give them sometimes is, look at my face. See my face? If I'm being serious, if there's a problem, there's something that we're trying to talk about, this is not dad joking around again. See my face? I imagine that in, in, in Paul's description here, as he's, as he's starting to pour out his heart, and he says, I wish you could know what great conflict. I wish you could know how much it pains me. How Maybe a pain is not the right word. But the, the care that I have for you, and for those in Laodicea, and for all of those you haven't been able to see my face, you're not able to perceive the heart with which I'm sharing this with you. You don't understand the concern that I have. You're gonna try to read it. You know, maybe Epaphras went back and gave them this letter and, and he he's reading it to them. And saying, like, he he really means this. You don't understand how much he means this. But again, I want your hearts to be comforted. They should be knit together in love and into all riches of fullness of understanding. I'm not saying this because I'm Trying to pour cold water on you. I'm not trying to be difficult. I'm not trying to be um, somebody from a high tower just raining on your parade, quote unquote. But I want you to be able to come and experience all the riches of full understa- uh, full assurance of understanding and to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and the Father and Jesus Christ. In whom, are all, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and, understand, and knowledge. And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. I know there are folks out there that are trying to teach you something different. And the reason that I'm pleading with you is because I want you to be able to understand and to experience the fullness of Christ without any of this watered-down junk. For though I be absent in the flesh... Yet am I with you in the Spirit, joying and beholding your order and steadfast and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. Pointing out that there's he has heard good. There is good there. Their steadfastness in Christ is to be commended. And this letter is written as an ex- exhortation, not just as a, a condemnation. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord. Referencing the steadfastness. As ye have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy or vain deceit, after the traditions of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. We'll stop with verse 10 for now. When you get into these details of, in him does all, or in, for in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. This is one of those references that if you go back and look what these Gnostics were talking about, was that, well, God could dwell in a little bit of you, and God could dwell in a little bit of me, and it this isn't going to be a lesson in that kind of stuff. But Paul is pointing out the little specifics. It's as if to say, so here's my next question. Is this kind of a letter the kind of thing that's applicable to us today? I don't, I, Gnostic is a word that is hard to say because it doesn't, it doesn't even spell the way that it sounds. We don't have Jewish mysticism walking in here. We're not, you know, the Greeks. It's funny, Ethan's learning about, is it Greeks or the Romans? The Greeks. Okay, so he's learning about all the Greek gods. Funny part was I learned about the Romans and they got different names. It's the same gods, but I learned about them different. They're changing New York State curriculum and it's, his is different than mine. But you learn about... Nobody's worried that Ethan is going to start... Ethan in particular. Nobody's really ever concerned that Ethan's going to start worshiping Mars or Jupiter or Zeus. That's not an influence to us. It's not something we have to worry about. But we would be foolish, I would be foolish of all people, to say that there are not influences, there are not gospels in this world that seek to have an influence on us that we're not as, as, not, not as keenly tuned to identify. So, funny part, in the, in the verses that we read here, uh, when it talks about the rudiments, where we go? Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy or vain deceit. Okay. After the traditions of men, or after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. He he puts these kind of divergent things. You know, make sure that nobody's enticing you with things that are too far on the left or too far on the right. Those are our terms for today, right? Make sure you're not too enticed by diversity, equity, inclusion, and make sure that you're not paying too much attention to Fox News. The gospel of one or the other, and then oh, somebody will say, "Well, no, 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 no. They can, they can inter- they can interact and intertwine, and there can be good things and bad things." And and you all know that I I'm not I'm preaching to, the, I'm not preaching to the choir. I first among anybody tune my dial to the things I like to hear. And I like to get into the waves and the weeds of politics. And I have to be careful of that. And most of all, I'm noticing, even as I'm reading these passages in this past week, is how much of those Gospels do I allow into my walk? How much, does the, how much do I tune my spiritual walk after those influences around me? How much do I, let's actually, let me rewind for a second. So, so what do we do? When there are influences around us, when we were, when we were kids, um, there's actually a comedian that jokes about this. Um, I was a kid raised in the 80s. I was raised by parents, I, I, I was, I am a child whose parents raised me, Christian parents raised me in the 80s and the 90s to a certain extent. Things in the 80s and the 90s as a Christian parent were significantly different than things today. And the joke that the, the guy tells is he has a sister that was born or that was raised in the early 2000s. And the things she's allowed to do in the 2000s were things that would have gotten him put under huge discipline, grounded. You know, he wasn't allowed to do anything, and she's allowed to do everything. And we can laugh and chuckle and, and so on and so forth. But the world is different today. When we were little, um, and even I would say, I would even say culturally. No, I'm not even going to say. Yeah, culturally. We put, we put barriers up. We put fences up. We put gates up because we didn't want to experience, our parents didn't want us to experience any of those outside things, any of those worldly things. And that was good. That sheltered me from a lot of pain. That sheltered me from a lot of scars that a lot of my friends have that I don't have. There are also aspects of that that made me less keenly attuned, or less—I shouldn't say keenly attuned—less able to identify some of those things when I finally saw them. The reasons that we didn't do things were because that's not what because the church doesn't do that, and my parents don't do that. And then I didn't know the whys. Not exclusively. This my parents aren't here, so it makes it sound like I'm saying this because I can get away with it because they're not here. That's not the case. I, I treasure the way I was raised. But I think generally, as a denomination, as Christianity in general, there was a time where we did things because that's what the rule said, not because we necessarily understood what the rule was there for. My point is the rule wasn't a bad thing, but we may not have understood it all the time. And what I read when Paul's talking to the Colossians here is he's saying, when this other influence comes that seems like it might have something to do with Christ, you weren't paying attention and you didn't understand the details well enough. You weren't rooted enough to understand exactly what I meant or what Epaphras meant when he was teaching that to you. Your experience is less with Christ and more with the It's It's more with with how it looks as opposed to what it means and how it's taught and how it empowers you and how it applies to your life. And if you're not careful, if you're not rooted, if you're not built up in those things that are, were established by Christ and taught by, not me, but by Paul, by, by your ministry, if it's not the way that you, were, you found it in Christ, it's not complete or excuse me, if it's, not from, if it's not from where you were rooted from, if it's not from the foundation that you were built upon, then it's not correct. And it's at risk. And it's at risk of pulling you aside and pulling you away. And he's cautioning that we have to, we have to stay on that foundation. We have, it, so then the, the question would then be, well, we should just keep everything simple, right? As you have found faith, abide. Abide. Well, I found faith as a 16-year-old kid. Not very mature 16-year-old kid. I had simple childlike faith. I embraced the gift of salvation at 16 years old, 15 years old. Changed my life forever. If I stayed as that 16-year-old kid, I would be, of all men, completely incapable and unqualified to lead my family to stand up here. Still un- un- unqualified and incapable to stand up here most of the time. But you can't stay at that place. You can't stay as a 16-year-old. You can't stay as a- an 11 or 12-year-old that's starting to, to seek the Lord and under- trying to understand exactly what it is what God is trying to say to you. If you stay there, you d- the world will move on. Our lives will move on. The experiences of life require growth. They require of us to be built up and to abound. So when we say that we have to go back to the foundation of our relationship with Christ, that we have to stay in the sufficiency of Christ, not saying that we don't have to grow in him, not saying that we don't have to mature, not saying that we don't have to add understanding and knowledge But we have to be so careful about what that understanding and that knowledge, where that understanding and that knowledge is coming from and what comes with it. There's too many opportunities in this world. There's too many opportunities in this world for us to attach ourselves, attach our, or or to associate ourselves with Themes. I don't want to say agendas. No, we, agenda is the only word that really applies. With, with opinions and agendas and people. Figureheads. But not all of the things, not all of the things that are there in those associations center on this message that we're reading this morning. And so the question I keep having to ask myself is, does do those things matter? There there is a phrase uh, how do I how do I say this? It feels like we live in a day and age where my identity is more built about built around me pointing out what I believe is wrong than what is right. It's it's much easier for me to say what I've got a problem with than to offer a solution, to offer how how I would see the alternative. Just think about that for a second. It's very easy for me to point out the things I don't like about well, what my kid comes down, comes home from school with. And I, I've said before, I'm, really, I'm very thankful for what he comes home or they come home from school with. But when something I don't like pops up, boom, I can go off like a shot. And I know I get, can get mad and I can point it out. I can see a picture of somebody and go, I don't like that. I know, how, I know how they vote. I know how they eat. I know what diets they're on. I know where they live. Somebody tells me they're from California. No offense, Christina. Um, I know exactly who those people are. Except, I'm from New York. We, we, we go to these divergent corners so fast because this identifier says, this is exactly who I am. I have a sticker on my computer. There's a, a songwriter that I like. And one song that she wrote is uh, Living in the Overflow. And it's, a, it's just on the corner of my computer, uh, my laptop, deck, whatever that is, keyboard. Living in the Overflow, is it's a Christian song and you can look it up later. I like it a lot. Somebody came up to me in the last two weeks and saw that in a committee meeting I was sitting in and said, I didn't think you were one of those green people. They thought it had to do with global warming and said, well, you certainly couldn't be. I'm like, what on earth Like, why is that where you go? Because somebody was looking for a buzzword. I'm a lead AP. Nobody in the world knows what that is anymore because it was a big thing when I graduated college, but green building. My my master's degree is in sustainable construction management. Also throws people for a loop. Why would Mike, the guy that listens to Fox News and votes clearly how he votes, why would he do anything sustainable? You drive a pickup truck. Well, they gave me a pickup truck. I like pickup trucks. But if you're a lead guy and you're sustainable, you should drive a Tesla. And if you're a contractor, then you should just pour gasoline on the ground for fun. Like, I'm I'm joking about this stuff now, but I don't think we take seriously enough. I know I don't. This is why I'm having to have this sermon. I I think we live in a generation where we don't take seriously enough the associations in our lives and what influences those actually have on us. And I think if the Apostle Paul wrote a letter to the church in Syracuse and La Puente and Brunswick Hills and... I think that gets us for today. To the church today, there'd be some warnings about all of the things that we associate with. And maybe it would be... Maybe he wouldn't have to be so muted as he was here. I think you get too nervous and too upset about these things. I think you get way too fired up about X, Y, Z. When you hear your son tell a story on Wednesday night about um, how you're supposed to, we were talking about how you're supposed to reverence people. or, or how, And Ethan made the comment, my dad might not agree with this, but when I come, when I uh, approach the president, if I approached Joe Biden, I would probably do it respectfully. Something like that. He was trying to explain why the leper came back and called Jesus Master. And yes, he's, he's a funny kid and he was trying to make a joke too. But he genuinely would expect that if Joe Biden walked in the door, I would not be that respectful. I guarantee you the Apostle Paul would have something to say about that. And he'd have a conversation with, I'm going to call Jeremy out too because Jeremy and I have influenced our children in such a way that they make comments about the president. Don't hold it against me. But do you ever think that that is the kind of thing that you would get a letter? To the church of Pork Street and Westmont Road, I write, maybe don't influence your children that way. That's a silly, silly little one. There are a thousand more that hit me much, much harder. To the church of Westmont Road, do you really think that that's a movie that you should have watched with your kids? Do you really think that that's a a story you just should have told? Is that a... a Whatever it is. Do my influences yield the focus on the gift that I was given and the gift that I am to proclaim, distribute, preach to the rest of the world? Do the influences in my life project the focus, one that God has called us to, but that Paul was trying to point out to these folks? And if you want to have a scary moment for yourself, take five minutes take 5 minutes and ask what do you think if the apostle paul dropped in for the weekend and spent some time with you spent some time with me and then went home and wrote us a letter i'm concerned with whatever because the objective of our lives what 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 i was trying to get to with this when i said this focus on all these problems our lives should Our lives lived in the Spirit, lived in Christ, should be more about making an experience of what is right, what is good. Expressing our lives, exercising our lives in the world today should be less about condemning things and more about emphasizing what is right in Christ. If you want to talk to somebody about the sufficiency of Christ, the the immeasurable blessings of living a life in Christ, How many times are you going to be condemning? How many times am I going to be pointing out what I don't like about somebody? What I don't like about where I live? What I don't like about tax? uh, Taxes don't matter. There's a thousand things to point out that are wrong. But it's innumerable, the things that we should be able to emphasize being right and good. We, We use that phrase every morning as we're going to school. Whatsoever things, the whatsoevers. Our lives should exude the whatsoevers to the world around us, and I pray that that can be more the case, not even just more, that can be exclusively the case for us as we step into this, this new year, and pray that we might be mindful, I first among you, would be mindful of those influences that would like to take away the message that the Lord's given us. Lord bless these words.